For the past quarter century, California has essentially operated as a one-party state ruled by Democrats. They currently have supermajorities in the California State Assembly and Senate. And the governor, Gavin Newsom, won his 2018 election by a landslide. But now he faces a once unthinkable scenario, a recall. Election day is September 14th, just a week away. And while current polls show California voters will choose to keep Newsom, Democrats aren't banking on it yet, especially since his putative replacement would be one of the most conservative governors California has ever seen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. How did California, one of the bluest of states, get to the point where a Republican might win the governor's seat? And how did that candidate, talk show host Larry Elder, get to this historic point? Today, we start a two-part series on the California recall, starting with a focus on Elder, his life, his beliefs, and his sudden political rise. I don't believe that uh, the state uh, should tell a parent whether or not a child should be vaccinated. I think that's an intrusion of state power. Thomas Jefferson warned about uh, trading freedom for public safety, and I think he was right. That's California gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder speaking with the editorial board of the LA Times last month. The way California's gubernatorial recall election works, voters will have two questions to answer by September 14th. The first one is straightforward. Should Gavin Newsom be recalled? If a majority of California voters choose no, then the second question becomes moot. But it's that second question that's getting people simultaneously excited and frightened. That one asks voters that if Newsom is recalled, who should replace him? 46 people are on that ballot, including Elder, and he has led his rivals by a huge margin ever since he announced his candidacy in July. Those same polls have seen support for Newsom shrink over the past year. And the idea of Elder as governor has a Democratic Party pleading with its base to reject the recall. Erica D. Smith is my fellow Metro columnist at the L.A. Times. She, like most of us L.A. Times columnists right now, is covering the California recall. Erica, welcome back to The Times. Thanks for having me. So Elder says that his upbringing in South Central Los Angeles is what led him to embrace conservatism, even though black conservatives are rare. What's his story? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who grew up in South Central L.A., you know, as a teenager right after the Watts Rebellion. And so he tells the story of how he was brought up by his parents. His dad was a Republican. His mom was a Democrat. And so he tells stories in his books about himself, about how his household was pretty abusive. He did not get along with his dad at all. His mom was more of the heart of the family. He got bused at one point to white school to kind of pursue some studies and came back and was very disappointed. This is according to his book that... He wasn't going to get the same opportunities as a lot of the white kids. And his mom basically responded that you need to find a way around that. You know, he did succeed. He went to an Ivy League school. He ended up in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and started a show there after being an attorney and starting a firm. Ended up back in Southern California and has kind of been here ever since, antagonizing folks. There was one story that he told the LA Times editorial board that's been getting a lot of attention about how, as a teenager, he got stopped by police, according to him, between 75 and 100 times just in one year. But Elder didn't attribute all of that to racism, no. He said it was because he looked young. I looked young. That's what the officer said over and over and over again. I looked young. And I did look young. They were polite. Once I showed them the license, issue was over. I, I wasn't beaten. I wasn't tased. 
I wasn't thrown against the wall. I was treated politely because I've responded politely. And that's one of the problems. I think some of these so-called civil rights leaders and so-called people who are activists should tell people, be polite, comply. Jacob Blake could have been avoided had he complied. Eric Garner could have been avoided had he complied. Michael Brown could have been avoided had he complied. Most of these high-profile shootings and deaths could have been avoided if the person stopped simply had complied. What does that anecdote show about Elder's worldview? I think it shows that it goes out of his way to kind of downplay the role that race plays in society, even at the point of when racism is just so obvious, he pretends that he doesn't see it. And I think that goes back to what he was saying about his parents and about this idea that if hard work and determination can help you get you anywhere, and that racism, while it may exist, doesn't really preclude you from doing anything that you want in life. And I think that this incident where he's literally being pulled over, clearly for racist purposes, he just pretends that that's not, had nothing to do with it. It's like he created a narrative for himself and no matter what the evidence may show, he's going to stick to that narrative. And in his narrative, racism is not the big deal almost everyone else makes it out to be. No, I mean, I, I think he's a person that doesn't believe systemic racism exists at all. Just by that statement alone, he's basically saying that racism has no big role in society that keeps people from getting where they want to be, for doing what they want to do. That's not an obstacle. And I think that that is something that no matter what the facts show, no matter what reality shows, he continues to say that and believe that and exercise that in all of his policy decisions that he talks about on the radio. And that perspective gave him that career in talk radio. It's lasted, what, at this point, over 30 years. And he was a part of a wave of Southern California talk show hosts that influenced American conservatism in a big way. We're talking about people like Hugh Hewitt, Dennis Prager, who gave Larry his first uh, chance in radio, Ben Shapiro. Larry Elder even ended up proclaiming himself the sage from South Central. But he also was never the biggest star. No, he wasn't the biggest star, but I, I think that he's always aspired to be the biggest star. And I think we've seen that particularly in recent years where he's become a regular commentator on Fox News. He's got his live streaming service and his show that he goes out. He's got a, a massive uh, Twitter following, a Facebook following on social media. I think he's really ridden this wave of this link between conservatism and Trumpism and, you know, online social media and honing that audience. And he's done that probably better than most people that are out there right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's leading this race as a replacement candidate. What's interesting to me in Southern California, like he doesn't have the best of ratings or even the most uh, name show recognition. You, I can name at least three, four conservative talk show hosts who have more recognition in Southern California. But nationwide or even up in higher parts of the state, that's where he's much more popular than people give him credit for. Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, his frequent commentating on Fox News has given him a platform that exists for people who watch a lot of Fox News and are, who are Trumpers. But I will say that I think in South L.A., as we now call it, I mean, I do think people really do kind of know who he is, particularly African-Americans, Black folks, because, you know, he's been around for so long and he's been deliberately antagonizing so many Black elected officials and, and the Black community that people are well aware of who this guy is. It's been more of a... Um, we haven't heard from him from a while because a lot of people don't make a habit of watching Fox News. But now that he has come back on the scene, people are like, oh, he's back. And so I think there is some recognition here in Southern California, but it's it's in pockets, and which is different than, say, in a very red state where, you know, Fox News and, and that narrative tends to rule the day. 
Larry Elder says fans have begged him to run for political office forever, but he always rejected the idea. He even said earlier this year that he wouldn't run to replace Newsom once it became clear that there was probably going to be a recall election. But Elder literally got tapped on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you should run after all. Yeah, I mean, I think that he did get tapped on the shoulder and he he is going to run. I mean, he, and he entered the race only in July. It's hard to believe that that little time has passed. But I mean, the field was already pretty crowded. You had Kevin Faulkner, who's the former mayor of San Diego. You had Caitlyn Jenner. You had um, John Cox, who ran against Gavin Newsom um, the last time he was uh, running for governor. But when Larry Elder decided that he was going to run, he immediately, I wouldn't say cleared the field, but he became the top candidate in part because of his name recognition among those who are likely to vote. Up next, what would Larry Elder do if he became governor of California? We'll be back after this break. Okay, we're back. Erica, we've been talking about how Elder became Elder the Pundit, the public persona. But let's get into the issues that he's actually running on. We're going to be doing a lightning round of big topics that concern Californians and what Elder told the L.A. Times editorial board about them. (laughs) Round one. Elder didn't agree with Gavin Newsom's COVID-19 lockdown strategy. I would not have mandated that businesses be shut down. I think businesses should have been able to determine whether or not they want to have certain kinds of procedures, and their customers should have been able to determine whether or not they want to enter those businesses under certain kinds of procedures. I would not have forced the state down in the most draconian way compared to all of the other 49 states the way Gavin Newsom did. Counterpoint. A CBS News YouGov poll released this August showed 60% of Californians approved of Newsom's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Round two. Gavin Newsom has set into motion a plan to start phasing out fracking in California in 2024. Elder? I would want more fracking, not less, because again, there's a trade-off. There's a trade-off between energy that we don't have to import from other states and jobs, jobs for the middle class. And I believe that a lot of jobs have been lost because of this, uh, in my opinion, unfair attack against the oil and gas industry. We have a lot of oil and gas. We have a lot of fracking. We have a lot of natural gas in California. We ought to be encouraging it. Counterpoint! A poll released this summer by the nonpartisan group Public Policy Institute of California found that 63% of Californians oppose the expansion of fracking in the state. And on the subject of undocumented immigrants, Elder doesn't like them. He doesn't want them to get citizenship or get any health care from California. And during his talk with the L.A. Times editorial board, he even reprimanded us for using the term undocumented immigrant. By the way, I think one of the problems is you use terms like undocumented. There's no term like undocumented in our legal code, in the U.S. code. The term is illegal alien, not undocumented. These are kinds of terms that, in my opinion, soften the attitude towards illegal aliens uh, and minimize the, the harm that illegal aliens do to our country. Counterpoint. A Public Policy Institute survey released this spring found that 85% of California adults surveyed favor a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, and 66% of those surveyed approve of them getting state health care. So, Erica, how is it that Larry Elder stands a real chance of becoming governor despite being so out of step with the majority of Californians? I mean, when the recall was first announced, people thought, oh, the big celebrity candidate's going to be Caitlyn Jenner, who's a conservative. Then people thought, well, the only person who's really going to stand a chance is Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, who's a Republican as well, but a little bit more moderate. Or maybe John Cox, who ran against Newsom in 2018, is a multimillionaire, got totally uh, leveled by Newsom, but was going to run again. 
but elder who has no political experience, who has this talk show experience, yes, but has no political experience. Immediately, he shoots up to the top. I, I guess what I'm asking is, what does it say about the state of conservatism in California that they go to elder as opposed to all these other people with far more established careers? Well, it says nothing good, that's for sure. But I do think a lot of it has to do with, again, like name ID. And and I think that, you know, he's been talking about these policies that so many uh, conservatives in California have wanted and just kind of this, on the one hand, there's the policies he talks about, whether it's anti-masks and, and, you know, not wanting vaccine mandates or whether it's his views on climate change. But I think there's also just this anger that he taps into and frustration with the Democratic leadership, which so many people in, in part, rural parts of California that are primarily red feel like the Democratic leadership has basically ignored them, has not, you know, helped them with their interests, that they feel left behind. And, and Elder speaks to those people specifically and he gives them this kind of validation that they so seek. And I think that now that he's running, I think they're like, yes, you're the guy who validated my beliefs and my anger and agrees with me. So I'm going to vote for you, even though you don't have any experience and even though you probably don't have the temperament to be governor. But you are angry just like me and I recognize myself in you and therefore I'm going to vote for you. Erica, you wrote a column last month, and this is the headline to it. Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. You've been warned. The headline is based on a remark made by Melina Abdullah, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. And in the column, you spoke with black leaders across Southern California who don't like Elder, as you mentioned earlier, and think he's dangerous. Why do they think that? Well, I think it's a number of reasons. I think, again, you know, Larry Elder has been, as a conservative talk radio host for decades, antagonizing Black leaders, um, and a number of whom have been elected to various different offices at the state, county, and city level. And so it's not just that he's a conservative that doesn't agree with them, but it's he's gone out of his way to really antagonize them and kind of belittle them <laughs> in all sorts of ways. I think the thing I cited the most in my column was about Maxine Waters and how Larry Elder used to play a clip of her sound bites over a barking dog. And so, like, you know, things like that that are childish and are antagonistic and, and just cruel. And so I think that they see him running and you're like, this guy, the guy who's been doing this for all these decades... There's also the factor, too, that he just doesn't agree. He's out of step with the majority of black elected leaders in, in the state um, and in the city, particularly, and that he doesn't agree with a lot of the policies and even efforts to kind of help the black community, whether it's just the baseline belief in systemic racism to addressing head on the issue of the COVID-19 pandemic and the lack of vaccinations among black and brown communities. The list goes on. And so they see him as somebody who's not going to be helpful, but is actually going to be harmful to the black community. And so I think they're very upset by it. Larry Elder also released a TV ad where he looks right at the camera and says, do I look like a white supremacist? He didn't call you out by name, Erica, but we know what he was talking about. And then there's the hundreds of racist messages that you received from his supporters, which you wrote a whole column about. What was it about your column or what was it about the statement that Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy? The guy his supporters so enraged. I think and I've thought about this actually in the last week, week and a half or so. And I think it boils down to the fact that I pointed out a very inconvenient truth to a lot of his supporters in very big type. Basically, like I think a lot of his supporters want to believe that racism doesn't exist in America, specifically systemic racism. They want to believe that everybody gets where they are based on hard work and determination, just like Larry Elder's parents apparently taught him. And so having a black man say that and confirm that is kind of like a, a security blanket or kind of the ultimate shield to having to change policies that 
so many on the left are calling to be changed. I mean, there's, you know, we have people that are calling for a wholesale revamping or rewiring of this country about how we approach everything from healthcare to free speech. And so people who are in power and like the status quo don't want to change. And so having a black man say those things, they like that. And then having me call out the fact that just because he's black doesn't mean that he's on the side of, you know, people who are also black. It's just kind of, I think it just really upset them. So, I mean, clearly based on my inbox. Erica, if elder wins, the people you've talked to, what do they say they're going to do? Well, first of all, the number of policies he's going to be able to pass is not going to be very high. I mean, we still have a Democratic supermajority in the legislature. So there's a pretty big firewall <laughs> between any kind of right wing policies. That said, I mean, he still can handle appointments and he can still do other things. Oh, yeah. He can appoint commissioners to all sorts of powerful governing boards like the California Coastal Commission. He can fill vacancies for Superior Court judges. They're the ones on the local level. And the governor can nominate appellate judges and also the judges on the California Supreme Court although those two classes still need to get approved by the state's Commission on Judicial Appointments. But the appointment power that freaks out Democrats the most is that in the event longtime U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein leaves her seat, well, Elder would pick her replacement, and all of a sudden, Republicans increase their U.S. Senate majority by one and effectively blocks the Democrats on basically everything. Yeah, I mean, I think really what it's going to look like is a lot of the same kind of dysfunction we saw on the national level when Trump was in office, where you have branches of government at war with each other over fundamental, you know, ideas and beliefs. But I also think you're just going to enable a lot of the kind of the far right thinking. And I think that's probably the bigger concern right now. I mean, we're going into the midterm elections. Uh, we're we're going to go into after that, the presidential election. I mean, he won't be around probably that long, but nonetheless, he will be somebody who is going to be looked at as a leader of the Republican Party that they're going to put on to talk at all given times. And it'll also be this idea of Trump supporters being like, we're not racist. Look, we have this black governor of California that says the exact same thing. And the conversation becomes not about the issues, but it becomes about who's saying it and who's the most valid and who's not the most valid. And, you know, I just it just leads to broader dysfunction at a time when our country, I think, is starting to finally shake some of that dysfunction, hopefully. So I, it could be problematic. I mean, California matters and him being governor would matter a lot to this nation. Erica, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we continue our series on the California recall with a focus on current governor Gavin Newsom. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Please, please, please don't make us the Pucci of Podcasts. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Ipin. Special thanks to Heba El Orbani. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias.